0: Okay, good morning everybody and welcome to the 62nd meeting of the Economy Committee. Um, Some members will be attending this morning's meeting via Starleaf and our witnesses will be briefing via Starleaf. Um, The meeting will be broadcast live when open to the public and a recording made available on the committee's web pages on the Assembly website. And just to remind members to mute their devices when they aren't speaking. Um, Moving on, item number one, apologies. We don't have any.
1: Not that I've been made aware of, Chair. Okay, thank you. Chair, just with respect to apologies, I need to leave at 12 o'clock. I have a training session with the Standards and Privileges Committee.
0: Thank you, Stuart. <coughs> um, item number three then, draft minutes. Um, there is a copy of the draft minutes from the meeting of the 12th of May at page five of your PACs. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Thank you. Okay. Um, moving on then to item number five, which is our departmental briefing the update on EU UK exit from the EU. Um, There is a Clerk's memo at page 28 of your pack, a presentation from the Department at page 31, um, a Clerk's memo from the January briefing on EU exit at page 39, the Department's presentation from January um, briefing on EU exit at page 43, the Clerk's memo from the concurrent meeting in March with TSS and HMRC at page 49, and a memo from the EU's Affairs Manager on Common Frameworks at page 56. So um, there's a copy of a research paper commissioned by the Finance Committee and the Executive Office Committee on the Protocol at page 66. So I can welcome into the meeting this morning uh, Shane Murphy, who is Head of EU Exit Preparation and Transition Group in DfE, and Alan Ramsey, EU Exit Preparation and Transition Group were we expecting Julia? Julia as well?
2: was there, and now oh, okay. she has disappeared. And I'm not sure why.
0: Okay, if I maybe hand over to yourself first of all, and then if Julia comes back in, um, sure we can add her in as well.
3: Okay, thank you, Chair. Can you hear me?
0: Okay. We can. Yep.
3: Great. Um, uh, Julia is having some internet issues and is frantically trying to um, get back into the session. And uh, So we we may have to be patient with 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 Julia. Uh, it's it's outside of her control. Um, if the chair and and the committee are are, are content, I'll, I'll not go through the presentation that 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 we sent in. But I, I wouldn't mind um, uh, touching on 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 a few of the top line messages, um, if if that's okay. Um, some of those top line messages are that the, the, the changes following Brexit are, are probably becoming more observable across the UK and the, the, the EU, uh, but it is obviously still, still early days and um, there are more things probably to, to pan out. Some areas of business and the economy have been adjusting better than others and um, I think we still see a range of issues where there's a level of frustration or where there's um, gaps that may, uh, you might call them gaps continue, um, whether that be in buying from, from GB. There's still obviously um, many reports of issues around GB suppliers and, and, and so forth. There's issues and gaps around uh, quotas and uh, safeguarding measures, and uh, at, at risk is still a uh, frustration uh as well and just uh, just to note uh, julia has has, has has joined us um, um many of these sort of things are on the agenda uh for the for, for for the program of work between the uk government and the the eu but there are some important ones as well which which are actually not part of that they're they're in the remit of the uk government such as unfettered access to 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 gb um, it is early days in, in the grand scheme of things, um, but there is um, emerging evidence of in terms of the impact of EU exit and um the the particular arrangements that 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 fell out of that in Northern Ireland, GB and the in the EU. Um there aren't any official statistics for trade between Northern Ireland and 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 GB um as as yet. Um but, you know obviously there are there's survey evidence there and uh, that indicates uh you know some difficulties are certainly been experienced by 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 uh, a range of businesses trading uh, in particular buying from GB and I think we'll probably touch on that quite a bit today um, one of the most common issues we hear about is is how ready G, GB suppliers were for all of this and obviously there was a lot of there was there was an a big element of an 11th-hour nature of, of, of all of this in the, in the run-up to January. Uh, in terms of North-South trade, the, the early couple of months of the year indicate um, you know their material increases in, 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 in exports from Northern Ireland to the Republic. Uh, and that's a bit of a contrast to the, 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 the GB EU trade position and the GB um, ROI uh, trade position. Um, but uh, as a caveat before it is important to bear in mind these are early days Trade figures can be volatile but um, it probably would come as no surprise to any of you that there's lots of evidence out there to to suggest that where you put in trade frictions that does have consequences for the the, the level of trade and I suppose that contrasting experience in the very early part of 2021 would kind of seem to be in tune with that um, in terms of some of the issues that are on the go, again, many of these, if not all of them, will be in the slide pack. Um, some businesses and some sectors are are you know, facing some of the more um, so uh, significant issues with with and challenges with 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 those changes. Uh, some for some that change has been painful. Um, you know, I touched earlier that a, a, common, a common complaint is around frustration with GB suppliers and, and, and how fay okay they are with the system, and uh, maybe also their, their willingness to um, get involved in, in, in using the system. Um, administrative burden uh, is something that we forecast to, 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 to come to the fore, particularly as supplementary declarations um, kicked in. in in, in around February or March. And there are particular issues facing manufacturing where they don't have the the same scope really to use the UK trader scheme um, for their for those goods which are actually inputting into the manufacturing process. Um, The issues around access to quotas, TRQs and safeguarding measures also tend to fall more so on the the, the manufacturing side of things. Um, these are actually quite complex issues and we know that some of the, these are part of the the work programme of discussions between the, the EU and the, the UK. The the aluminium one is is, is difficult in that you know, Since the end of the transition period, there's now a disjoint between EU policy and uh, in relation to Chinese aluminium. And the UK has chosen not to carry over those uh, safeguarding measures, which puts um, uh, GB uh, businesses uh, 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 who are buying aluminium in a a different position to to those in Northern Ireland buying uh, aluminium. Um, but there are also things on the horizon as well, which will, 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 will impact. Um, obviously, there are the discussions on whether you call it the roadmap or whether you call it the, the work programme that the UK and the EU are, 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 are to work on. And obviously, I think we're all keen to see you know, the, the outcome of those two discussions. Um, um, also, worthy of note, it uh, doesn't get as much attention um, the UK has delayed the implementation of border controls uh, to, to, for imports to GB, and alongside that, the implementation of phase two of unfettered access uh, um, uh, is also likely to be delayed. That's something I think we're all keen to see the detail on, because um, we're we're. We'd like to see that and see it in, in good time, so, so so businesses can be either prepared or reassured. You know, this 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 is going to be a big area of interest to to us all in Northern Ireland, because obviously GB is is, is such a big market for many of our our, our businesses. Uh, and in terms of upcoming deadlines, um, again another deadline that probably doesn't get the attention it deserves is 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 the is the one on. Um, uh, Saddle status and, uh, for the end of the end of June, um, the, you know, and obviously we have a, a lot of people in Northern Ireland who who um, you know there, which we would probably want to see um, uh, have their status um, clarified and sorted out for the for the for the for the future. And um, so I've just touched on some of the issues. Um, I appreciate time is short today, and obviously. It, in between uh this session and the last session the, the minister published the 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 tedx vision last week and we think that trade and investment will be a big part of achieving that vision in the future so uh thank you uh and uh, i'll hand back to to the chairs and we can take any questions and so forth
0: thanks very much um Shane. and yeah i just i have a number of questions and i'll maybe rattle through them as quickly as possible so we can bring in other members too but Obviously, there's, there's still a lot of, um, I guess you could call it, a political background noise in relation to issues around the protocol, and I know David Frost was in front of the NI Affairs Committee yesterday, and you could be forgiven for thinking that his government hadn't negotiated the protocol just a, a few months ago in relation to his commentary around it. But um, <laughs> in relation to the specific issues, I suppose in relation to the grace periods, and I, I appreciate some of this will be um, Dara's responsibility, but... Um, what's the progress in terms of um, moving those forward to in line with the, the current deadlines in respect of those um, and in respect of British businesses and their preparedness or, or lack of preparedness has that improved over the course of the past number of months as, um, as the new arrangements have be, become more widely known. And then I have a couple of questions, if you maybe want to take those ones first, and then I have a couple of questions, I suppose, about how the new trading arrangements are, are impacting here.
3: So. Okay, um, in terms of grace periods, um, yes, a, a lot of those are, 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 are on, on those that attract probably most attention are, are very much in, in, in the dearest space, albeit it's actually probably the the, the, the dearest space in that um, obviously, Uh, These negotiations are UK-EU negotiations. And um, um, I think think, um, we've got to remember that these things are not necessarily um, deliverable by by DERA. And I I might bring Julia in here as well. Obviously, there are other grace periods on areas such as um, uh, medical products. Uh, which 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 draw a lot of attention, and while some of those might seem further away, they're 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 no less uh, they're no less uh, pressing. But again, uh, those are obviously of significant interest to our, 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 all of us in our our Department of Health, like like there, uh, the, these are the government lead on um, uh, one which was, which. which, which those of a particular interest for, for us is, is in around the space of of partials and so forth again uh, and that's something I'll, I'll, I'll ask julie to say a few words on if that's possible julia
4: thanks um, thanks jane um yeah i suppose on grace periods in general um something that concerns us is that it's very clear what that it's clear what businesses need to do, so um, in terms of how things are implemented, that it's easy for businesses to do what they need to do, and it's clear their legal position. We can't really comment on the DERA space of things, because I know the SPS stuff is, is very complex, so um, I'm reluctant to say you know I'm not over the detail of that. Medicines and parcels, as Shane has mentioned, are two other areas where grace periods are in place. for business to business parcels, that grace period the UK government has signaled should end in October. We would really like to see guidance in, to businesses you know, as soon as possible. If there's any change to what they need to do, if the past few months have told us anything, it's that businesses really need time to, to look at what they're required to do and time to implement um, the kind of necessary admin around that. So. The business-to-business parcels one is probably the one we're looking forward to um, most quickly. Um, On medicines, I know health lead on that, and there's a lot of ongoing discussions on that one. Again, it's another complex area that um, we need a good resolution on. But in terms of the detail, that would be for health
3: to cover. In in relation to uh, business preparedness on GB, this, this would be something that we we, we we think there's still more work to be done on uh, I think I think that would be fair Julia
4: yeah um, we know from the kind of H st- um, surveyed businesses and I forget the exact figures but nearly every business here has heard of the trader support service and is registered for us if they need us whereas in GB those figures are much much lower um, There simply isn't the awareness that we'd like to see there. Now there's a lot of different things, pressures G B businesses are facing in terms of trade with the EU and you know, so there are a lot of different things in the mix, but we definitely see there's a need for greater communication to those businesses. And it's something we've tried to do what we can, but it's actually it's very hard for us to reach. GB businesses, and I know businesses tell me they're trying to do what they can and that they're trying to take their suppliers by the hand and, you know, to show them what they need to do. But equally, that's quite labour intensive too. So, um, yeah, there's still a lot to be done there, I think.
0: Okay, no thanks for that. And obviously, you will be aware that we had the meeting with um, TSS and HMRC to kind of tease out some of the issues and get an understanding of the uptick in the services and, and all of the other issues around that, so uh, that's something that we can, can pick up on as well in respect of it. And then just um, finally from myself before I do bring other members in, um, in the slides, and it has been uh, reported as well, the, the CSO figures in relation to North-South Trade and, and South-North Trade and the significant increases there. Um, as businesses are, are realigning their supply chains, and, and we've seen some of that coming through in surveys from the likes of Manufacturing NI as well. So just wondering, um, what's the department doing in respect of supporting businesses to, to uh, realign where, where they, they want to do that? And also, you mentioned the 10x plan, and there is the Economic Recovery Action Plan as well. Um, and within both of those, there isn't a great focus on any type of economic strategy to um, take advantage of uh, the potential opportunities under the protocol and the ability to sell into both the EU and British markets. So just in terms of the the work that's being undertaken in in the department and with agencies like Invest NI and Intertrade in respect of that, if you could maybe give us a bit of an outline. Okay, I'll
3: take the second of those first. Um, Yes, uh, uh, 10X, um, uh, there's a big focus on uh, innovation within it, Um, but I think all of us within the department will will recognise that uh, the the benefits of innovation um, require uh, that innovation to be commercialised. And then, for the uh, commercial benefits of that to be to be scaled up in a market the size of Northern Ireland, um, we're unlikely to um, enjoy the full benefits or the full potential of innovation without a lot of export activity of that innovation. And that's where um, the, the 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 trade and export side comes in. And um, uh, the, the stronger offer that we have in exports, the more ability that we will have to scale up the benefits of that informi- uh, that innovation uh, and, and and use that as a means to, to trade around, um, um, whether it's GB, the EU and around the world, because that, that's where we really can multiply up the benefits of that innovation because we're, we're, we're probably never going to... Um, Make the most of that innovation. If, if if all we ever do is sell 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 the products, sell the innovation within a market the the, the size of Northern Ireland, <laughs> and obviously um, 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 all the advantages that we have on um, on, on, on on trade will, will be useful in that. In addition, another element that that we see, and I, I'm not sure if if if. Many have picked this up in in, in the latest um, um, release from NISRA of the broad economy and sales and exports uh, survey, but exports is 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 um, actually something which is, is is well distributed across Northern Ireland. Obviously, uh, at, at at different times there are. There is a, a, a focus on the extent to which economic activity can be cent, uh, you know, uh, centred in and around the Belfast area. Well, exports is, is one thing which you know, isn't nearly so centred on, 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 on the Belfast area. And so um, um, multiplying up those benefits uh, fr- fr- from exporting um, is also a good way of distributing the benefits uh, across Northern Ireland. So w- we, we do see a big role uh, in uh, trade and investment playing in, in making not just 10X happen, but actually happening at a scale that the, 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 that there is there within the ambition in 10X is something we, we would hope to say more about in, 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 in the coming weeks and months uh, as to how we would take those sort of themes and sentiments of 10X. And, 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 and adopt them into some sort of a uh, trade and investment whether it's strategy or plan uh, in terms of your, your your first question on um on, on 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 exports to the Republic of ireland and and, and trade um yes uh, I, I, you know, first of all i, th- I got i gotta say the caveat again that uh, um trade figures are volatile can be volatile and there's only a couple of months trade figures here uh, but that 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 that's that said there are sort of contrasting um, that first few months of the year has been contrasting for example between the um northern ireland roi experience and the gb eu experience or the gb um or roi experience and um so you know, um they're, 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 that may well pan out and certainly um all the literature would expect it uh, expect a situation where frictions emerge that there are consequences um for 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 trade i don't know if julia wants to say any more on that first first subject
4: yeah i was just gonna say that intertrades um as you know it's a very strong program of work in terms of in- Encouraging or facilitating north-south trade—that um, the supply chain issues—is something that has increased the interest, maybe in that. Um, but I'll also say it's—it's it's, in speaking to businesses, it's—it's. It's, you're right that a lot of businesses are trying to think: Can I get this product elsewhere? You know, if the admin burden of sourcing this from G, from GB or wherever they get it is increased, um, sometimes. They genuinely can't. Sometimes there's no supplier on the island of Ireland, or so, You know, it's um, for some products it may be relatively easy switch. For other products, there's a little bit more involved. Whether it's um, kind of uh, <coughs> regulatory standards that your suppliers might have had to go through that mean you're you can't easily just move it to somebody else, or again that question of what well, there, there mightn't be another supplier that's within easy reach. So there's. Um, There's definitely increased interest in that north-south area and in kind of supply chains generally in terms of looking at your supply chain and ensuring you're sourcing kind of the goods at the the best price you can, but there are also real ongoing difficulties around areas where supply chains cannot be re-engineered or um, so quickly. Um, So that's, sorry, it's a little bit complex, I suppose.
0: No thanks for that and um, just I suppose to pick up on that final point, is that something that is being supported through Invest or or, or even through TSS or, or what mechanisms are there, there to support businesses who are having difficulties with supply chain issues that you know can't easily be reorientated?
4: Um, yeah so there are um, support from Intertrade that In- Invest and I um, have a range of supply chain supports as well. It's once you get to kind of supply chain issues, it becomes very um, particular to the particular components you're talking about. So um, it's it's hard to generalise, I suppose. But yeah, that is an issue that ourselves invest, rate, We're all sort of looking at to see what well, what are the issues, what can be done. I suppose looking at the big picture, where you see increased costs to businesses, you worry about our long-term competitiveness if those costs remain stable. Um, I don't know, Shane, did you want
3: to say any more? Yeah, I I, I think, uh, as Julia talked about there, in some some cases, um, it does appear that supply chain issues are more solvable, where there are more alternatives. Um, But I think you'll have heard me make the point before that the interaction between the withdrawal agreement and the TCA had a particular outcome for uh, distribution businesses. Um, Quite a lot of distribution businesses uh, um, had distribution hubs in GB, which often served GB in Ireland. And um, those, I suppose, were the hubs that the, 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 the companies or the wholesalers in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland would have rang for their supplies. Um, But the combination of uh, the way Brexit occurred and the TCA has made that a a lot more complicated in terms of uh, um, shipping components from around continental Europe to a distribution hub in, in somewhere in the center of England before moving all those products out. That has now become a lot more complicated. And it may be that those distribution hubs have to change and move in the future and whatever we do in Northern Ireland, I suppose uh, we will be at the end of that, not in, in the middle of making it happen. And uh, so it, it will take a while to pan out and um, we, we'll do already hear of some distributors moving um, moving to, to, to look at uh, having dual um, supply routes um, but they, 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 there are quite, quick big issues here and a lot of them are upstream of Northern Ireland and not necessarily within the control of Northern Ireland companies.
0: Oh, thanks for that. Um, can I bring Sinead into the spotlight, please?
5: Good morning, thank you, Chair, um, and good morning and thank you for your briefing this morning. Um, uh, probably a couple of things that I would just like to reflect on that have already been raised, Um, but if we could kind of tease them out a little bit more. Shane, we talked, uh, the chair uh, questioned you in relation to um, how is the department preparing for um, uh, assessing opportunities that we would have here as a result of the protocol. And and certainly, I would um, also feel that the um, strategies that are currently um, been launched by the department don't really reflect um the opportunities that may be available. And I'm I'm quite uh, aware that you know a recent Uh, a quarterly quarterly review of the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce. They report that 68% of businesses believe that Northern Ireland's status post EU exit presents growth areas for their region and 47% of the business uh, believe that it will represent growth for their particular businesses. I think it's really incumbent upon the department to um, maximise as much research and opportunity that, that they can present and help support businesses to realize that opportunity. And I just feel that that is missing, but I do believe that your department has a key role to play in that. Uh, and I appreciate your saying, you know, the innovation uh, needs to be commercialized and therefore um, that, that you know drives that will be the export companies that will be doing that as well so can, can you maybe speak a little bit more on that um, particular chain?
3: yes yes I, I, I'll, I'll start off on, on, on that um, uh, uh, what, what i was saying was that the 10x is very much um, focused on the innovation element as the uh, as the driver of growth um, and, and what is implied but probably not uh, it's probably not uh, sort of spat out it, 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 in 10x is 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 for the great work on innovation in order to maximize the potential of that it it, 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 it needs trade because Northern Ireland is just, just too small to maximize the potential of that um, and so we, we um, would aim to put out um, uh, a, a piece of work which will illustrate how, how we aim to do that, and how we'll re- how we'll set our priorities going forward to do that. And I might bring Alan in here in, in, in a minute regarding this. And uh, trade and investment is going to be crucial um, because if we if we end up just being very innovative, but only been innovative within Northern Ireland we will never prosper we will never maximize the potential of that and so uh, trade trade investment is is the means to multiply up the benefits of that initial uh, focus on, on on innovation and as i said as well um, uh, um unlike other economic indicators exports is an indicator which is well distributed across northern ireland and i know there's many in society and the committee would let like to see um, a focus on distributing benefits across Northern Ireland, and actually exporting appears to be one way of, of doing that. I, I think I've said at the committee before, maybe once, maybe twice, um, we have a piece of research um, um, in, in, in the pipeline, which uh, is looking at our, our economic strengths and weaknesses and opportunities. Going going forward, the, it's it's going to look at the the situation for foreign direct investment across the world, the areas of the world that we compete with, and I suppose ultimately, um, what sort of sectors should we be competing for, given our our our, our strengths and offers, um, who are we competing against, and I suppose which countries and which sectors we should be putting. Uh, client executives on, on and a sort of from investing and I on the plane too, and so that, that that is something on the and that is something that will um, influence and and and, and drive a, a big part of that. Whether there's a trade and investment action plan or whether there's a trade and investment strategy, and I'll bring Alan in in a minute. Um, and there's probably also going to be questions about. Um, a foreign direct investment and 10X, uh, and um, whether we, we become more selective uh, on that front. Uh, if we're going to focus on some things in 10X and not try and be good at everything in the world, but really focus on those things we can be world class on, there's also questions as to uh, that if we we're, are if we're going to be focused on everything we do, are we going to be focused in that area as well? Alan, is there anything you want to row in r- r- on there?
6: Um, Shane no, that's that's pretty good coverage. I think the key points there are about you know how we use trade and investment, particularly trade and exports to you know as Shane describes it to, to multiply up the benefits um, that we would hope to gain through 10 times and innovation um, and that those are distributed quite equally across Northern Ireland. so I don't want to go back over that Shane, but I do want to give you some comfort that we certainly are thinking about those issues um and we're, we're starting to flesh out you know what what that strategy is going to look like and um, you know initially sort of agreeing our principles and priorities for trade and investment um, and making sure that those are well locked in with with the 10 times strategy um, so not not too much more detail than Shane, but um i hope i can give you some comfort um we we'll certainly come back um as we develop that over the next few weeks and share more information.
5: Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Alan. Uh, and I look forward to the research document because I think it will uh, influence how we think as well. Just maybe for a little bit of insight, I had a meeting. My team had a meeting with uh, TSS UK uh, regarding um, some areas where um, some of our constituents were, were having problems. And there just appears to be a real problem with distributors um, uh, and not necessarily that there are any blockages, but they have chosen uh, not to carry goods uh, and, and no particular reason because there are no barriers and um, access is, is open for them. For example, I have meetings with uh, podiatrists and they, um, were their suppliers, couldn't carry couldn't get distribute blades uh, and cotton wool because of the particular codes now there is no barriers in trade for any of those um, uh, articles at the moment uh, yet distributors are, are refusing to carry them now they're working on a, a TSS from, from um, the supply side and that on behalf of um, uh, on behalf of the companies but there seems to be a real issue with GB. Uh, companies in, in relation they've just chosen not to supply or not to deliver as opposed to being actually blocked and I you know what what can the department uh, do in those circumstances? Uh, um,
3: um, obviously I raised distributors earlier on it, it, it's not something that's got a lot of focus I think I also raised distributors at, at the previous session uh, uh, that uh, th- that we had with the committee and, uh, I, I, you know, if I'm being honest, the, there's a real adjustment coming to, to distribution networks as I've tried to illustrate and you know, maybe this is something that we could say a bit more on, uh, but uh, the historic distribution networks uh, um, and broadly lead to, uh, it's not in every case, but in a lot of cases, there are distribution networks in GB where a lot of goods from around the world, including from a lot of places in Europe, uh, arrive in. And then they arrive in at a sort of, a don't know there, a regional hub, and the word regional there is, is, is for a region of Europe. Um, and then those goods are moved around to, to, to local distribution hubs, And those sorts of of, um, systems have been in place for years. They've grown up over years and they were efficient to do it in in, in that way. But the interaction with the the withdrawal agreement and the TCA have introduced uh, a lot of new complications for those. Uh, And I'm sure uh, many of the members will have heard the Percy Pig story Mm -hmm. where um, Martin Spencer's Percy Pigs come in from, from uh, from from Germany into some sort of distribution centre for Marks and Spencers in, in 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 England, and then for them to go to um, uh, stores in the Republic of Ireland, they hit a, a rule, rules of origin issue, and they're not um, um, uh, not tariff free because there's been no further processing of of any note done done in England, uh, so so this is all. Act- Extra complications and um, as a result um, you know, it isn't the same for distribution as before it's really rather different for distribution and it's entirely plausible that distribution networks upstream of us you know, uh, uh, that, are, that are sitting in in, in, in in the center of GB uh, will, may have to change or may have to be duplicated um, so uh, the, 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 these are complicated things. they are upstream of us. We are at the end of them, not 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 in the middle of them. So um, uh, I suppose I'm, I'm going back to this point, but I suspect some of those frustrations will will link back in some cases to distributors who are wondering whether it is uh, the new era is worth the hassle for them and whether they need to set up something different. I don't know if Julia wants to say anything more about that, but uh, distributors is a a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention, but for me, is is rather important. Yeah, I suppose I'd just add that um,
4: we see the difficulties from our end, but I know from kind of Whitehall meetings, or more general business meetings you sit in on, that distribution and wholesaling in GB has had serious issues in terms of tca and you know gb was a big distributor for the whole of the eu and the difficulties we've seen are mirrored really in terms of elsewhere Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so as shane said it's it is a it's a big issue um there's definitely probably change coming um it's hard to predict you know, how individual distributors will react to that. As Shane said, some probably downsize their business, some probably um open warehouses elsewhere, depending on where their customer base is. But um it's yeah, I I it's it's uh yeah, it's definitely an issue and it's one that's working its way through. Now um it's very difficult to know what government should or, or could do about it at the moment.
1: Thank you. OK, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, this has been a useful briefing for us. Um, one of the things, I, I, and you're, you're right, there, there's a lot of politics in this, but there are also the practical outworkings of, of, of where we're at. Um, has anybody sat down and segregated out what might be described the GB-EU issues from the GB-EU-NI issues? Um, because I think we we often lose sight of the fact that a lot of the problems that we're facing in Northern Ireland are identical, whether you're in England, Scotland or Wales, um, in relation to imports from the EU, uh, and then you have the, the the knock-on problems for Northern Ireland. It might be useful just if the department or someone could set out in simple form those issues that are barriers to trade, nothing to do with Northern Ireland, but only and solely to do with the United Kingdom Government's uh, Brexit arrangements with the EU. The second area of, uh, that I would like to ask you about is in relation to the Trader Support Scheme, and, and we've heard this dis- this discussed before, uh, and it's excellent that Northern Ireland has picked up uh, widely in relation to the Trader Support Scheme and and. and you know good on the department for identifying that it's there and all of the the, the things that it's that it's achievable for for businesses the, con- the area of concern is that, that it hasn't been picked up by by traders across the uk but is there not a similar scheme in the rest of the uk for those who wish to trade with the eu is there not a, tra- a trusted trader scheme or 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 trading scheme initiatives for businesses, surely businesses that trade into France and Germany and Italy and Spain face many of the barriers that we are facing here in Northern Ireland and could it not simply be that when advi- when they're taking up that advice, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be taking up that advice, that somebody just simply tags on a line and you know there's a similar scheme for Northern Ireland. Uh, finally, it, it, it struck me around the whole issue of the, when somebody mentioned Percy Pig. Um, One of the possible solutions, and it's actually been pushed very hard in relation to medicines, and I I, I appreciate we're not the Department of Health here today, Um, and in fact one of the solutions that that has been used uh, when we were in uh, in the EU and now since we left the EU, is quite simply when goods are manufactured in the EU or they're manufactured in the United Kingdom and they're manufactured to the absolute same and identical standards, But they nevertheless have to stop midstream. The solution that many uh, drug companies have come up with and, and it has been accepted by government is that when an item comes into the United Kingdom you simply switch the barcode off. And then when it leaves the United Kingdom to go to the Republic of Ireland, and this is where it's been tested, when the item and lots of medicines come from the EU, because that's where they're manufactured, they go to distribution bases in the UK, but they're actually consumed by the health, uh, by, by patients and the health service in the Republic of Ireland. And there's a very simple methodology to doing it. You switch the barcode off. So it can't be used in the UK. And you switch the barcode on when it arrives in uh, the Republic of Ireland for use. Why on earth can a simple solution like that not be used for so many products across the EU uh, and and for, for, for trading uh, between the GB and Northern Ireland?
3: Okay, I think there's three questions there and I, I, I might get uh, Julia to, to, to think about the, 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 the last one. Um, uh, obviously, medicines is is is, is something which uh, DOH lead on, yeah, and yeah, but they will it, know the detail it, an, on that more so than It's
1: only an example of a solution. Okay.
3: Yeah. Uh, um, okay. The first of those questions, uh, I, I think there's a sentiment there of trying to understand um, um, which outworking drives which 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 types of consequences, um, yes. and I think we. We, that is something that that can be done, but some of the things that we that, that we are talking about here, um, uh, um, and particularly around distribution and so forth, we would see that as the interaction between the Trade and Cooperation Agreement and the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, both 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 things being at play in 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 that. Um, uh, so I'm not sure it will always be able to. to to separate out the issues and pin them down to one single source. Um, Brexit, uh, I think, was always expected to be complicated and it certainly ended up complicated. Uh, And uh, um, I I, I wouldn't be certain that we can trace lots of issues back to, to a single source. Secondly, in terms of... Uh, TSS, unless Julia uh, uh, can put me right, uh, there is not an equivalent of TSS, uh, or certainly not as yet, for for for, for GB businesses um, settling into um, the, the 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 EU. Uh, so there isn't uh, a, a, an equivalent. Um, that said, no, there there are there are are general schemes. Such as um, you know, their trusted trader type schemes, which uh, allow you to to um, uh, um, have certain privileges uh, compared to the norms when when undertaking trade activity. Um, but that that is that, that's 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 nothing, or that is not uh, the same as a as a, as a TSS scheme. Julie mm-hmm. do, do you want to say any any more than that, or, and then on to the the the. The, the third point around the, the medicines is an example of ways of overcoming issues.
4: Um, Shane has is just right on TSS, and I'd add to that probably the movement assistance scheme for SBS goods. You know, um, it's surprising sometimes the businesses that haven't heard of the supports that are available in GB, you know, businesses of some size. Um, I mean, there's clearly a communications gap, and, and it's it has proven to be a difficult one well, for us in particular. On your point around medicines, um, the system I think you're describing is from the falsified medicines directive. Mm. Um, we see, so I see your point in terms of, you know, you know where the goods have ended up and you see similar systems, I suppose, for excise goods. Um, yeah. yeah. That's generally Security where coding, we see-
7: coding,
1: So, I mean, the electronics are all there. It's just a matter of getting the appropriate uh, secure systems in place.
4: Yeah, I think, um, from memory, some of these were sort of raised as part of the alternative arrangements um, group of things that have been looked at. From memory, um, it's very difficult to apply these to all goods, whereas systems are in place
1: to to deal with some goods that are controlled for various reasons. You know, Name me a good that that hasn't got uh, some sort of barcoding or tracking coding on it today.
4: Um, mm. I don't know a piece of aluminium,
3: <laughs> but um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I think I, I think that the point that Julie is getting across is that medicines are a regulated environment. Medicines have a particular supply chain. That when they enter a country, they will enter the health system. They will end up being prescribed
8: mm.
3: to to a person. So the end use of them, there's comfort that there's regulate over the end use. A packet of cigarettes may have a barcode, but there isn't the same regulation as to where that packet of cigarettes ends up. Is that well, is that no, part of the point, Julia? No, but you, just okay. a, but you
1: just add a little more information to the barcode, and you can have everything from origin to the, to the name of the person who made it, embedded in it. it it's simple.
4: Um, that may be, I suppose it's... Yeah, um, if, if that was to be introduced, it would be a custom solution, I suppose. It is. Um, yeah, um, and would be with HMRC probably to implement.
6: Hmm.
4: Um, it's such a system, probably, I don't, you yeah, know, that switching out of barcodes probably would need to be introduced on a wider scale than just
3: Northern Ireland. i am not charge you for the idea. You're okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we understand the idea and the concept. I think my my cigarettes example is is probably one where um, some within any negotiation on this, and this would be a UK EU negotiation. Um, and they, I, I would not be surprised if the EU had some thoughts as to the risk to the single market um, and the risk for, for for goods to be moved. Potentially illegally, when there isn't the same sort of control around them. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I suppose we're not saying that there isn't merit in, 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 in such an idea and such an approach. Um, but um, an idea of just having merit doesn't necessarily mean it would meet the threshold of the, the ghost stances of either the EU or the UK government yeah,
1: and, it, and it doesn't and it, it doesn't remove the requirement to, to to sample for example at the port of Larne but it adds an extra line of surety to the whole process and it probably allows larger quantities to be uh, shipped rather than, than having to be stopped and checked it's part of the armory or way of doing it.
3: Ultimately, uh, it, 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 it may be, but the sound of it, these, um, these concepts are uh, sh- should be known about uh, within UK government and EU circles, and ultimately, it is whether uh, in those circles pick up those ideas and run with them, make them work, and make them work in a, in a way which is acceptable to both parties.
1: was trying to take the politics out of it and get some down, down to some of the practicalities.
9: Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you. Um, John O'Dowd, can we bring John into the spotlight, please? Uh, Thank you, Chair. Firstly, can can I ask the question in relation to distribution centres? And uh, Understandably, there's been quite a bit of discussion around the distribution, and that's going to be an increasing issue if certain issues aren't resolved, or changes in supply networks are not enacted. Uh, In terms of distribution centers in Britain, uh, and perhaps, uh, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but there's a suggestion that some of those may need moved. Can they be moved to here? And what potential is there in terms of economic growth if such distribution centers are moved to here? Okay. um, Well, uh, obviously, uh,
3: there, there would be choices. For the owners of those uh, distribution centres to move to the location that that, that best best suits their their um, their, their their situation, and uh, yes, there may be opportunities uh, in relation to, um, uh, for example, um, a location of Northern Ireland might be the one place where the old model of distribution might, might still work. But on the other hand, of course, Northern Ireland, is, is, you know, as as remoteness within Europe goes, it's 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 at the edge, and obviously uh, cost and distribution. Um, are, 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 are a factor, and I, 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 I don't personally I, I, I don't know what the conclusion for that sort of trade-off would be for for, for a distri- distributor sitting in in in, in 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 England, for example, whether a, a move to a lo- location which might get over some of the um, ac- um, uh, distribution issues, would come as a consequence of being somewhat more remote.
9: Yeah, you know, Of course, each business will have to make their own calculations, but it would appear it's a choice between being able to distribute into Europe or not being able to distribute into Europe. And depending on the scale of your operation, uh, I would imagine that a number of businesses and not many businesses will have to come to that or have to uh, do that equation. The other point I want to raise with you, and she yes, mentioned this, the deadline for the end, the, the deadline for the settled scheme, uh, EU, EU settlement scheme, is next month, uh, and I, I'm sure others are deeply concerned about this because we now face the prospect of EU workers, our neighbours, uh, our, our children's classmates, and families being denied EU settlement, and if they haven't applied or there's problems with their um, application, that some of those people may be asked to leave. Um, How many, have you any estimate in terms of how many of our our neighbors and fellow workers this impacts on Um, and what else can be done to ensure that as many people as possible are applying for that scheme and what assistance is being given to businesses in regards to the extra costs around that scheme?
3: Okay, uh, in relation to the, the latter point of assistance, I may have to defer to Julie on that one. In, in terms of the, the deadline for applications to the EU Settlement Scheme is the 31st of June. As we understand it, the latest um, figures that are published by the Home Office suggest that something in the order of 88,600 Northern Ireland based applications to the scheme were made by the, 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 the end of April um and that was up by a couple of thousand or so on the on, on, on the previous months um but there there is no doubt that there is a risk that that won't cover everyone that there won't be some people who either didn't get around to it or didn't know about it or or, or, or didn't think it was all that important and um, this this is something that TEO have been uh, leading on and have been putting in place and you've probably seen some of the communications um, further communications activity has been planned over the o- 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 over the weeks, the next few weeks until the thirtieth of June, to try and maximise awareness and try and maximise um, as you say, our our, our neighbours and in, 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 in seeking to um, know their put their, their their status in the country on, on a more sure Footing going forward. Julia, is there anything in particular that has uh, occurred via business on, on this?
4: Um, well, we we have done a good lot of business communication to business, you know, to sectors that are likely to employ a lot of EEA um, migrants. Um, so that has been ongoing for a good while. Um, I know from from well talking to various people that what they tell you is is that one of the big issues is um reach reaching the hard to reach people so people who you know aren't particularly you know okay with kind of doing things online or and that population is a real worry i think um we won't know probably whether this is a problem or how big the problem is until a little bit later on and one of the issues there is that there's been a bit of change in terms of population with COVID restrictions and kind of furloughing of people and people returning perhaps to um to, to be with family during kind of lockdowns so when the population figures are um are difficult at present and that makes it difficult to know whether there's a big problem here um i don't know whether alan has anything i've missed or
6: yeah, just um, in terms of John's concern about, you know, those EEA EA citizens who may miss the deadline. I suppose I'm aware, John, that um, DWP is working with um, Treasury and HMRC on the details of a, of a programme for post 30th of, of June, um, in terms of, you know, the vulnerable EEA citizens and those who've, who've missed the deadline, unfortunately, As Shane said, it's TO lead on this, but so I'm I'm not entirely clear what the details of that are, but um, you know, they are thinking about the the post grace period um, arrangement as well. Now, obviously, that will be, I imagine, short term, Um, and obviously, the focus should still be on readiness and getting those, you know, hopefully final applicants through the system.
9: But surely there's an onus on the Department of the Economy uh, to support local businesses in terms of ensuring, because as Julie has said there, those who will be less au fait uh, with the system or with online or the need to do this will be those workers in the agri food industry, will be those workers in manufacturing, uh, who, I know in terms of my own constituency, many of our agri-food businesses rely on EA workers and and workers from other states as well. So uh, I I have have my experience of the Home Office and DWP is how you put workers out, not how you bring workers in. Uh, So I think there's there's an onus on the Department of Economy to support our local businesses. And indeed, those uh, EU workers who have uh, kept our economy running over many years. So I I would encourage the Department to carry out a role in that as well. um
3: as julia said we, we 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 have been uh endeavoring to 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 target areas where um, um employment of, of migrant workers is is, is 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 well known or is clustered um, and obviously businesses uh have an incentive to 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 hang on to their staff and um, there are, um, are some of our businesses as you say who, who particularly rely on, on on migrant workers and, and and people who are here uh, and and they, they have the interest in, in getting their 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 staff at um, um, re- regularized going forward I think that's something we could we, we can could take away and think about um, whether there there is more potential in, in that from the employer side obviously ultimately these are um, um, uh, Requirements that will have to be exercised by, by, by the individuals themselves.
9: Just finally, and I know you don't mean any offence by the term migrant worker, and that's not your intention, but I don't like the term. I have to say, I do not like the term migrant worker. Up until six months ago, these people were, or in fact, I'm still an EU citizen, so they're, they're fellow EU citizens who have been working, living beside us, contributing to our economy, uh, for many for a number of decades now so and, and I, I understand you don't mean any offense it's a term that is used but i honestly don't like it I, and uh,
3: i and i understand that and yeah. uh it's 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 it, 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 i think it's a, it's a term that's 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 commonplace in, in this space but it's it's it, it's one which um, i think not everyone is comfortable with and appreciate that
0: Thanks, John. Um, can I just ask you a question following on from that in relation to Frontier Workers? It's one that we, we know there's a wee bit less awareness of. Um, and just wondering, is there any work that the Department's doing along with TEO or Intertrade Ireland um, in terms of kind of publicising that one a bit more? I, I think that there isn't the same deadline. I think you can still apply beyond the 1st of July, but if you're here, you're supposed to have the, um, you're supposed to have applied by the 1st of July.
3: Um, frontier workers um, uh, unless Alan knows the detail on that that might have to be something we, we, we come back to you on anything in particular on frontier workers um, well, this would be uh, front, frontier workers where um, um, folks coming from from from, from, from uh, no, there from from down south who would who, who would not be um, a crossing on the basis of um cta, CTA rights that, that might have to be something we, we 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 come back on
6: yeah no happy to do so I, I just don't have the detail to hand right now chair
0: okay thanks for that um i haven't got anybody else indicating that they want to come in so thanks for your briefing and um, there's a few wee things that we'll follow up on as well so thanks for being with us thank you okay. thank you thanks okay folks we uh, or, do you want to agree with the actions first? Peter? Yeah,
2: Chair, if we can just get agreement um, to write to TEO about what plans they have for those who miss out on the deadline for settled status. Um, officials were saying it, it's a TEO lead legally. Um, so it's it's a case of writing to them to see what measures they have in place, what they're going to be doing um, for support for um, hard to reach more vulnerable groups and so on. Either before the deadline or once the deadline has happened. Also, there's two um, points to put to the department on that. That same point as to what they're going to do, and also um, the issue that's just been raised by frontier workers. So, if members are in agreement, we follow up on those. Yep.
10: Okay.
0: Okay, thanks. Um, here We're moving on then to item number 12 in your packs, it's the briefing on parental bereavement leave and pay bill. Um, it's a pre-introductory briefing. There is a clerk's memo at page 110 of table papers, the copy of the um, bill itself at page 116 of table papers, and the explanatory and financial memorandum at page 146 of table papers. Then there is a departmental response in the bill of consultation at page 157 and the Hansard of February's briefing from the department on the bill at page 184. So, Tommy, you have the witnesses in the spotlight already. Thank you. Can I welcome to the meeting Colin Jack and Kelly Sprott and Lawrence Rogers? And if I hand over to yourselves to, to give us a, a background briefing and then we'll open it up to members.
11: Okay. Um. Thank you, Chair, for inviting us here today to provide the committee with details of the Parental briefment Leave and Pay Bill, uh, which has been drafted since the last time that we appeared before the committee in February, when we briefed members on the departmental response to the consultation exercise. Um, I believe that copies of the bill and the explanatory memorandum have been made available to you. Um, the Minister intends to introduce the bill to the Assembly uh, within the next couple of weeks, Uh, And that date is dependent on the Speaker uh, being able to carry out all of his required checks and receipt of formal uh, consent from the Secretary of State. Uh, But in summary, the bill will allow for the introduction of legislation uh, that will provide for a statutory entitlement to two weeks bereavement leave and pay for employees who suffer the loss of a child uh, and two weeks bereavement pay for workers who suffer the loss of a child. Um, And this new statutory entitlement will also be provided to those parents who suffer a stillbirth. Um, It is a relatively small single-issue bill, uh, and so uh, it can be accommodated uh, in what is really quite a narrow window of opportunity for legislative change in the current uh, Assembly mandate. Um, The bill contains powers to allow for regulations related to employment protections uh, whilst on uh, parental bereavement leave. Uh, this mirrors similar regulations associated with other forms of family-related leave such as maternity and paternity leave um, and in that regard it's akin to the uh, Parental Leave and Pay Act in Great Britain uh, which was given Royal assent in 2018 and operational last year. Um, the bill contains a transitional power that will enable working parents to lose a child in the 12 months prior to the legislation becoming operational. Um, And that really uh, means from uh, a date last month, uh, all being well, uh, to avail of the new employment right. That's one element of the bill that diverges from the GB entitlement, uh, which didn't, uh, the the GB bill didn't include a transitional provision. So I'll start by giving a, a quick description of the bill and the various clauses. So clause one. Uh, amends part nine of the Employment Rights Northern Ireland Order 1996 uh, by inserting a new chapter um, which will result in the provision of an entitlement parental bereavement leave. Um, the changes to the Employment Rights Northern Ireland Order 1996 set the terms in which a parent will become entitled to the leave component. Um, they also define the minimum period of leave that must be legislated for. Um, that period will be set at two weeks um, the changes to the order also set the time frame within which the leave must be taken, which will be uh, 56 weeks after the child's death. Um, the committee um, should note that while the text of the bill says at least 56 days, uh, it is our intention to set the time period at 56 weeks uh, following the, the death of a child. Um, the order will also be amended to confirm that an, an employee's terms and conditions and their obligations will not be affected by taking the leave. Um, The insertion made by Clause 1 will also allow for regulations to be made that cover special provisions such as matters related to redundancy and alternative employment and the consequences of failing to comply with those regulations. Clause 1 also covers the insertions necessary to allow for regulations to set the administrative standards and procedures that employers and employees have to follow if they're claiming and processing this period of leave and the consequences of not complying. Um, From a technical approach, it also sets out how regulations can modify the way in which a week's pay is calculated to take parental bereavement leave into account. Um, The clause will also create the power for regulations to be made that expand the rights to those parents who suffer a stillbirth uh, and that's recognised in law as... uh, happening after 24 full weeks of pregnancy. Um, Clause 2 of the bill adds um, Part 12ZD uh, to the Social Security Contributions and Benefits Northern Ireland Act 1992 to create an entitlement to parental bereavement pay. Um, Similarly to how the changes are proposed in the um, Employment Rights Order 1996 to give entitlement to the leave aspect of the entitlement the changes in Clause 2 are necessary to give entitlement to the pay aspect. Um, Clause 2 provides that an employee or worker who meets the defined conditions will be eligible for parental bereavement pay. Uh, The conditions in this regard include the relationship with the child, uh, the relevant week, which is the week after the 26-week period that they've been working for their employer before becoming eligible, that they're still employed with the same employer, and that over an eight-week period prior to the relevant week, uh, their normal weekly earnings are not less than the lower earnings limit of £120. Um, The proposed insertion by Clause 2 uh, also specifies that the entitlement is applicable for each deceased child in the event that a parent has suffered the loss of more than one child. Um, The Act will also be amended to allow for regulations that will set the conditions and standards necessary for the administration of payment. Um, Clause 2 also ensures that through the insertion into the Social Security Contributions and Benefits Act 1992 that the costs of the parental bereavement pay can't be passed on to the employee or their entitlement to it or denied. While it's envisaged that the majority of the bill will be commenced at the same time, uh, the bill also sets out how the Department for Communities will have the ability to to commence a certain aspect of the schedule uh, which references the welfare reform order 2015 Um, in this case there's an amendment to a piece of legislation that has not been commenced by DFC at this point uh, and DFC is aware of of that issue um, and concurrence with it. Um, The schedule to the bill sets out a number of amendments to other pieces of primary legislation that are necessary to incorporate fully uh, parental bereavement leave and pay into various pieces of employment law and social security legislation that includes references to the statutory pay and leave and also the proposed new articles and sections of the employment rights order and the social security contributions and benefits act from clauses one and two um, so the bill's main purpose is to create the correct architecture and law that will enable the creation of a new employment right for parents that suffer the loss of a child and those who suffer stillbirth to a statutory entitlement to two weeks' leave and receipt of the statutory payment whilst on that leave. Uh, it will also create the powers needed to allow regulations to be made to give the legislation effect. Our main focus up to now has been the drafting of Bill and getting it to this stage, but we will be required to um, develop a suite of secondary legislation to give the bill to full effect, um, we'll be starting work on drafting that secondary legislation shortly, uh, and we'll be looking to run the passage of the primary legislation and drafting the secondary legislation in parallel. Um, we hope to be in a position to extend the new entitlement to workers and employees in Northern Ireland by the sixth of April, twenty twenty two, and in order to meet that time frame. Uh, We will need, if at all possible, to secure royal assent by December of this year uh, to allow for the subsequent uh, process and scrutiny of the secondary legislation, which will take three months. Um, So this is a demanding timetable, but we're very focused on making sure that we are able to introduce this new employment right as soon as possible uh, so that those who may benefit from the changes can do so without delay um, and we'll make the regulations available for scrutiny later in the year when we're at the appropriate stage of the drafting and making process. Uh, And obviously we will be in touch with or in front of the committee again uh, once we reach committee stage uh, where we can discuss the content of the bill in more detail and we would be hopeful that we'll be able to do that before the summer recess. So that's all that I would like to say by way of introduction and uh, my colleagues and I are happy to take any comments or questions.
0: Thanks very much for, for that um, and as you are aware the committee is very supportive of, of the bringing forward of this bill and I think um, the assembly more generally is very supportive of, of the bringing yes. forward of this bill. And I've just a couple of points in, and I, I raised them, most of them the last day when you were in with us as well um, and you will be aware that since you were last in with us New Zealand has moved to bring miscarriage um, within or leave in in the instance of miscarriage um, into legislation. So I was wondering if you've had any uh, further consideration of the inclusion of that within the scope of the bill. Um, Obviously, it would be um, a very um, compassionate addition to to this uh, piece of legislation, if that was possible. And then in the same kind of... um, vein of, of uh, supporting parents who do find themselves in these really, really difficult circumstances and I think it was included in terms of the consultation itself but how they leave can actually be taken and, and it's being proposed that it would be taken in weekly blocks but um, there may be requirements, for example, for parents to make arrangements for Postmortems and um, uh, paediatric postmortems, I think, are carried out in England. Um, so there may be, you know, some requirement to have a day or two here or there to um, to deal with some of the practical um, difficulties in relation to to the death of a child. And I was just wondering, has there been, you know, consideration? Obviously, it was considered as part of the consultation. But is that something that you potentially would be open to looking at, um, having a bit more flexibility around?
11: Okay. well, I'll take the the issue of miscarriages first. um, And we are aware that the uh, New Zealand uh, government has introduced the entitlement to, I think, it's three days of um, leave in the case of of miscarriage. Uh, And I mean, the minister is aware the issue has been raised, and she's sympathetic to to people in in that position. there are a lot more um, miscarriages uh, each year than uh, children who, who die, uh, or, or indeed stillbirths. Um, my understanding is that uh, around one in eight pregnancies end in miscarriage, and so um, you know we we have some done some work to look at what the issues would be about potentially, including uh, miscarriage. Um, I mean, our uh, estimates of the cost and so on associated with the bill uh, are based on uh, the information that there are approximately 225 uh, child deaths per year in Northern Ireland. There are probably 2,800 or so miscarriages, so um, it would be quite a significant change to the bill uh, to, to add in miscarriages. So, I mean, the Minister's not... Uh, minded to include miscarriages in the bill at this stage, Um, but um, she she would be open to monitoring developments elsewhere um, in GB particularly, Um, and uh, clearly if if there are developments elsewhere she'd be sympathetic to to following those. Um, I think we we would need to um, consult um, if we were to introduce um, an entitlement to, to leave as a result of, of miscarriage um, but certainly we're, we're aware of the issue and um, you know we, we can certainly discuss it further uh, at a later stage. Um, in terms of the other issue about uh, post-mortems and so on, um, Kelly, do you want to pick that up? You're on
12: mute. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, I, I can pick that up, Colin. Yeah, we, you're right, um, Chair. We, we did look in the consultation at how the leave should be taken. Should it be single days, or should it be in blocks of weeks, um, or should you have to take the two weeks all at once? So um, we, we came down to the decision that you can either take two weeks as one full block, or you could take one week and then at a, at a subsequent period of time, um, you could take another week. Um, the, The main reason for that is um, for certainty for both employee and employer, also to be able to accommodate the administrative processes for an employer, and also as regards to the statutory pay element. All of the processes with HMRC are premised on the fact that it would be taken as a block week. So if we were to change that and split it down into single days, um, it would make the statutory pay element uh, very difficult to actually administer.
0: Okay. Um. Thanks for that. And I suppose I would just respond in relation to the issue around miscarriages and, and monitoring what's done elsewhere. Obviously, employment is a devolved issue, and uh, if we can have the opportunity to, you know, to lead in some things, I, I think that that's a, a something that we should take because you know this is about um, providing uh, compassionate leave to people in really really difficult circumstances, and uh, certainly I would be arguing in, in respect of that. And I just have one more question, and then if any other members want to come in, um, it's just in relation to: Can you speak? Can you speak to the issue of employees versus workers, and what the difference? Why there is that difference?
11: Kelly, do you want to cover that?
12: Yes, I I can come in on that. Um, Just to very, very briefly recap so that everybody's absolutely clear um, in this bill what we intend, which is actually the same as what is for all other um, family uh, rights in employment law employees will be entitled to both the leave and pay element of the bill, workers will be entitled to the pay element only, so it's just so so everybody is aware of that. The reasoning for that um, goes back um, obviously decades in employment law, but it comes down to employment status. Um, an em- employee will have an employment contract with their employer, so there is a mutuality of obligation between the employee and employer, but when they should be in work, how many days of a week, how many hours, and for them to not be in work, they must um, discuss that and agree that with their employer. For someone who does not have an employment contract and who is not an employee, that same mutuality of obligation is not there for them to be in work at a certain day, at a certain time. Um, So that's where the distinction is made and has been made for many, many years in employment law. Um, So whilst um, someone who doesn't have an employment contract, doesn't have set hours, um, may need Time, time away from work if they ever did suffer the loss of a child, they still would be able to access the form of statutory pay, whilst they may not have to formally request the leave from, I'm going to say employer, even though they, they don't have an employment contract. That's, that's the reasoning for it.
0: Okay. No, thanks for that. that that's useful. And um, does anybody else want to come in on this?
2: Sure, I have no further questions. Okay. This will obviously come back. as yeah. well.
0: No, look, thanks for the, the update and um, look forward to, to this coming forward in the Assembly and, and further discussions on it once it comes back to committee.
12: Okay, thank you
0: thank, you.
12: thank you.
0: Thanks. Okay, and just to advise members, we are expecting the bill to be introduced um, next Tuesday, the 25th of May, with the second stage likely being Monday, the 7th of June, so it's actually coming quite quickly. And if we could just seek agreement from members to commission a research paper from Ray's on the bill to be considered once second stage has passed and the bill has been referred to committee. Go ahead, Stuart.
1: Uh, Chair, I appreciate that the bill is narrow in in its scope, but nevertheless, issues that you've raised, for example, with regards to miscarriage, what are the opportunities available to us to provide amendments to the bill? Chair, we
2: were just... Mr Dixon, we were just talking about that, and officials reference the mostly the parent legislation that will need to be changed for this bill, and, and this could be done... By amending those uh, pieces of legislation particularly I think the employment uh, 1996 order yes um, the, the department has looked at that so it's you know a mechanism has obviously been in place but they've uh, the minister isn't minded to go forward it because of numbers and cost but in terms of, of legislative process if the committee
1: wanted to put forward an amendment on those issues they could I think it would be valuable for the committee to at least give some consideration yes. to the potential for amendments.
0: I, I agree, and hopefully we can do that. Um, and Peter, just in relation to why would they need to reconsult on that when it was an issue that was raised in the consultation?
2: I think it's the, the department uh, taking about embraces approach of anything new would be further consulted on. But obviously the committee will put out a call for evidence, and that call for evidence could include. Yeah. Um,
0: we did agree that last yeah,
2: week. The consultation on uh, our, our own um, consultation, if you like, on, on any additional amendments that could be made or should be made to the bill. Um, once once the bill comes to committee stage, the committee has that full uh, power to approach its scrutiny in, in whatever way it feels it wants to do. So um, we'll obviously have a bill clerk allocated who'll help with amendments. Um, the key issue around amendments is, is always cost um and whether it places an additional uh, administrative burden that has to be um, costed as well and you, you that's when you start to get more kind of pushback if you like from from particular stakeholders and so yes. on but there's nothing that stops the committee at all looking at all of that yeah. the only caveat i would add is um time scale yes the department's made it very clear that there's there's a requirement for a bit of secondary legislation to enact all this, um, and that's going to be done in parallel. But will also take some time to bring in um, come the new year. So you are talking about a, a very much a, a cliff edge, if you like, of getting the the bill through, getting as far as a cent within this this calendar year, mm-hmm. um, which which then kind of, if you like, puts the. The question do you get the bill on the statute book and then look to come back to it again to improve it and develop it? Or do you try and get that done now in process potentially risking timescale? But I think you know the committee is aware of that. Um, so it's it's really a case of working, seeing what can be done and constantly being mindful of that timescale.
0: Yeah, and in respect of the numbers and the potential costs. The, the the figures they've given them so yeah, the, they, it's they not that they aren't quantified so mm-hmm. yeah. it's something that we can um, Chair, the the
2: the research paper we commission will will look at local jurisdiction comparison but it'll also look at international best, international market, best practice. going to draw in that new zealand yes, example exactly. that's come through recently
11: okay thank you chair
5: so, can i ask a point of clarity there um, you know in relation to um stillbirth and miscarriage. What, what are the definitions um, between the two in, in relation to this bill going forward? After 24 um, weeks is
0: stillbirth. Right. So after 24 weeks is considered stillbirth, <coughs> and then prior to would be considered miscarriage. Right. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Thanks. Okay, members, are, if we're happy enough to do those things, then we'll move on to to our next briefing.
2: Thank you, Chair.
0: Don't we, don't, you. We, don't,
2: we, don't, we don't have witnesses yet. So, Chair, what I'll suggest is if we go back to Chair's business. So yep. if we skip on to page seven.
0: Okay. So that is item number four, um, four point one and four point two. There's a clerk's memo at page thirteen and a presentation at page eighteen of your packs summarising the informal meeting with the English language teaching colleges last Thursday morning. Um, A number of issues were discussed including the college's high degree of accreditation and the variety of students attending the college and their contribution to other sectors such as tourism. Whilst the colleges have worked with Tourism NI and Tourism Ireland over many years, they have not been able to access the COVID relief provided to, to that sector. Colleges fear that once the furlough scheme ends in September, they are likely to go out of business as it will be unlikely that their markets will have reopened as, as they uh, rely very much on um, on international travel uh, as opposed to the domestic market. Um, so if members are content that we would seek to uh, raise the issues outlined by the colleges with the Minister, with Invest NI, with Tourism NI um, and they also highlighted issues to do with um, Erasmus and visas, and the requirement for Tier 4 and Tier 5 visas, so that's something that we would like to also seek to raise with the um, the House of Lords EU Affairs Committee um, and also the Home Office, there, so members are content um, that we would do that.
1: Chair, in, in relation to Erasmus, it might be useful if we could also make an approach to uh, the equivalent department uh, in the Republic, uh, as they are indicating very strongly that they will continue the Erasmus programme on behalf of students in Northern Ireland, uh, and I'm very aware uh, that the uh, Richmond TD has asked a couple of questions which there are answers to now, uh, both indicating that they have spoken to the Minister here uh and that they are continuing to work but it will require uh colleges student universities and colleges here to uh register with or partner with a college in the republic in order to do that and then of course that goes into the wider issue which you've raised around visas and and the rights to travel and stuff like that. So it might be useful if we could contact our counterparts in the Republic as well.
0: Yes, Peter, and I am aware that um, my my party colleague Niall O'Donnell in the, the Shannon recently raised it with the Minister Simon Harris. He did. Um, and there was a response from Simon Harris which indicated um, that they were you know that they were obviously ha- had made the suggestion that they would continue with Erasmus, but it won't be required for the new academic year because there are unspent funds in the north. And um, So could we just like, seek some clarity around that? Uh,
5: Chair, also one of the issues was, uh, was um, that whilst uh, the Republic of Ireland indicated that they would support students from here. Um, to participate in Erasmus programmes, it wasn't a uh, support for EU students coming in to Northern Ireland, which is a problem for the English language schools. Um, it has to be a flow both ways in order to be productive for the English language schools. And, and we only have three, um, you know, substantial English language schools here in Northern Ireland, and these three have been um, cut off and excluded from any support through um, out, throughout the, the the covid um, pandemic and uh, you know that they really are been very very challenged financially they um, they have taking on loans, etc., and um, their, their business plan going forward is very volatile because um, of the inability to attract students here to Northern Ireland. And it is a very, very uh, productive business in terms, um, it has a, an economic impact in the multiplier with, with many students coming in here, and each one pay, spending about 485 pounds per week you know, um, a very productive um, visitor that comes into Northern Ireland and there's thousands of them that come in throughout the year so it's something that we really should be doing um, we, should, we should do everything and pulling out the stops to get them support going forward and looking to see how we can get the, 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 the free flow of Erasmus uh, students coming in from outside um, of uh, Ireland in here uh, in the future as well
0: um, yeah, thanks for that, Sinead. Um And if members are content. We would write to the um, the, Tanishda, the the Minister for Foreign Affairs, in respect of, of that issue as well. In the south. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so moving on then, four point three. There's a response from the ERA committee at page twenty four to the committee's letter regarding the handling of future interaction with the um, NI Affairs Committee in regards to the scrutiny of the protocol. The ERA committee agrees with, the, um, with our committee's approach to facilitate future engage- engagement via correspondence. So that is for members to note. And then page four, or 4.4, page 25 of your pack, the chair of the new House of Lords European Affairs subcommittee, Lord Jay. Um, there is correspondence on the protocol following the end of the term of the House of Lords EU committee. The Chair outlines its inquiry into the current state of play with the protocol and its six areas of work, and the committee chair hopes to further engage with our committee and has suggested an initial uh, introductory phone call with with me as chair of this committee. So, members are content for the clerk to arrange that initial phone call um, and that the committee agrees uh, to continue its engagement with that inquiry as it proceeds. Thank you. And then just four point five, it's not in our pack, but just to seek a members' agreement to ask the department for its um, submission to the department for department of finance for June monitoring. Thank you. Okay. Okay, okay back, so we're chair. going to go back now to item number six. Yes. Um I find it in my well, paper.
13: Well, I'm
0: some not it. um, not. Okay. So <laughs> item number six then, there's a briefing from um, Student Union representatives, there is a clerk's memo at page 101 of your packs. there is a paper from NUSUSI on issues facing students at page 104 of your PACs and if I could just um, welcome into this morning's meeting Ellen Farron, who is president of NUSUSI, Jonathan Reid who is president of um, Stram Millis, Grey-Anne is President of Queen's, and uh, Colette Cassidy, who's President of Ulster, and O'Meara, Omer, who, who is President of St Mary's. So if I hand over to yourselves to make an opening statement, and um, then we'll bring members in for questions.
10: Yeah, thank you so much, Cuba. Um, I am going to kick off, and then I'll hand over to um, the new Presidents after that. Um, so yeah, hi everyone, thank you so much for inviting us here today and um, I also just want to say that we do really appreciate the level of support that we've had from this committee and especially different members of this committee over the last year. Um, I'm Ellen Verne, I'm president of NUSUSI, which is the National Union of Students here in NI. so we're made up of 200,000 students across the north, um, across higher and further education um, and I know that we also have representation today from our four HE SUs as well. Um, I think it's just so vitally important that the student voice is being heard at all levels of government. We are just such a unique and large section of the population, and we need the room. We need to be in the room for our issues to be understood by those in government. Um, So it is really, really good to be here this morning. Um, I suppose I only have a few minutes here, um, and I'll try to be really quick. We all know that students are facing a wide range of issues at the minute, which have been massively, massively magnified by COVID-19. Um, So I don't have the time to go into all of them, but the briefings that we've sent around from NUSUSI um, will provide you with a a good overview of of the year that students have had. Um, One issue I suppose that I'd like to talk about, which we've worked on as part of our Students Deserve Better campaign this year, is the £500 COVID disruption payments. As it stands, three quarters of students in this country are not eligible for the COVID study disruption payment, despite having faced just as much disruption to their studies as the students who have got it. That includes further education students, part-time students, thesis-only students, international students, and other groups as well. I know this committee has followed this story very, very closely, so we don't need to repeat it today, but I think it actually offers us a perfect case study for the challenges that we have faced throughout the whole pandemic in trying to get the supports for students that they need. The £500 COVID disruption payment at the end of February to full-time HE students was, of course, extremely welcome and appreciated and definitely helped a lot of students out but it was and continues to be a short-term partial solution to a much, much wider problem. Student finance doesn't cover students cost of living and with the industry that many students rely on for part-time work closed because of COVID students have had no option, but to fall deeper and deeper into financial hardship over the last 14 months. We've been raising this problem with the government since the very first week of the pandemic. And so far we've seen absolutely no long-term strategies to support students to cope financially. The payment excluded vast numbers of students with broad generalizations being used as reasoning for these exclusions. Time and time again, we've witnessed outdated and simplistic views of the student population, leading to real harmful policy making, which ignores the reality of students' lives. One example is that um, the Further Education Student Hardship System, which requires students to provide details of their parents' income and finances if they're under the age of 25, um, that's an excessive burden of proof, which isn't asked of higher education students of the same age get hardship. And I think it's beyond reason that the government would make such a wide assumption that an FE student has more financial, student, have more financial support from their family than a HE student. And we see generalization and harmful assumptions like that so much within the financial support system. In debates about extending the 500-pound payment, we saw arguments around the difficulty of setting up a system to extend the grant being used as an excuse to do nothing about it. This will come as no surprise to student renters, who for the last 14 months have had no support to help them pay for contracts or leave contracts for houses that they no longer need. Some of which they've signed contracts for because they were told they needed to be on campus, only to have their classes moved online almost immediately at the start of the academic year. We've been passed back and forth between different departments on this issue before finally being told that it's up to Westminster. Yet we've seen little evidence of the NI executive lobbying Westminster for support. The welfare of people in this country is not outside the remit of the NI Executive, and a problem should not be ignored just because it's challenging. There are so many issues students have faced this year and every year that have slipped through the cracks because no department will take responsibility for it. Because the HE and FE policy branches in DFE don't fully know what the other is doing at times, and student support isn't adding up across the board. Or because student issues are simply seen as too complex to tackle. That approach that's been going on for years leads to students' actual lives and welfare slipping through the cracks in response. And finally, I just want to say, the Minister's lack of engagement with NUSUSI and unwillingness to devote time and resources to student issues may have come to a surprise to some members of this committee, but it was absolutely no surprise to us. This is definitely symptomatic of a much wider lack of interest and lack of regard, which we've struggled with since the formation of the Economy Department. We appreciate that this is a very, very large department with a very large remit, and you will know that better than anyone, but that isn't an excuse to push student issues to the side. If ministers cannot devote the, act, the adequate time that is needed to truly engage on third level education across the board, then I think perhaps the NI executive needs to review the department's portfolio as a whole. So going forward, I think we want the Economy Committee to take some time to reflect on this department's handling of student issues right from the very beginning, and to consider the message that um, that sends to students across the country, because it's been very, very disappointing. Um, we believe that students deserve better than how they've been treated this year, and that this government needs to do better. And um, there's still so many unanswered questions about the year going forward. If students are going to be asked to, to sign on to a lease for the third academic year in a row that they don't need, because again, there's no national plan for returning to campuses. There's no long term strategic plan for, fina- for student financial support. And we just have so many more unanswered questions before September. And we just don't want to see a repeat of this year that we see every single year. And um, so we need the minister to take responsibility to ensure that we've been through doesn't continue to happen every single year, and we need long-term action for our students. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. I will look forward to taking any of your questions at the end. But I'm going to hand over to Green Negavin um, from the president of Queen's University Students Union.
0: Thanks, Alan.
14: Uh, hi, folks. Dear Dave, it's Misha Green. So my name is Green, and I'm the Queen's Student Union president this year. Um, I'm very aware of time and I hope you don't mind just because this meeting went over I do have to leave early for another engagement um, But Ellen touched on a lot of the issues that I myself am going to touch on as well um, <clears throat> I'm probably going to touch on three main areas. So over the past year I um, no, Ellen touched on the issue of student renters and student housing. We were told, as you no know, student representatives and as student activists, that um, we were told that this executive didn't really have much of a remit um, to deal with um, to deal with student renters and you no know, waiving rent and um, you no know, being able to suspend rents and things like that. But you no, know, student rent have gone completely. Is my internet okay? Is it? It's
0: breaking up a wee bit, but we can we can hear you okay.
14: You can hear the sounds fine. No problem. Um, and so, um, student renters were told that the executive was very limited in what they could do for student renters. If it's the case that this executive doesn't have the powers that student renters need to support student renters, I'm uh, no. We believe that it's of the opinion that the, the executive needs to be helping cover their rents. Because they're taking out leases at the minute, something that they were doing exactly at this point last year, um, and no, we don't know if there's going to be another spike with the variants come up, up come autumn, um, and we don't want to see students in the exact same situation that they're in now. Um, this can't be repeated again. As well, um, my colleague at I. Uh, also students unions and so Colette will touch more on the student mental health action plan but this urgently needs you no know, student mental health was in crisis before the pandemic and it's only been exacerbated because of the pandemic we need the student mental health action plan that was pulled together by UUSU and other students unions to be implemented and they have the proper you no know, time time and money invested in it um, and just to finish off the third thing that I uh, am going to touch on Um, is that the issue of student refunds and financial compensation for this year, I don't and my colleagues don't believe that this is something that's been seriously, seriously considered by by the executive um, and by politicians um, here in the North. I think it's vitally important that we recognise that we're currently in a system that that we're universal, are forced to operate as businesses. Are forced to you know, use international student fees that are massively high when not actually offering um, international students the support that they need financially because they can't access public funds. Um, the system here at the minute, you no, know, it's it's really hard to get into because of the financial barriers. There are students that will not, that can't access education unless they have the student loan scheme and. No, and that scheme in itself that puts students into debt for the for you no know, years after they leave university, um, and in a system where they have been told that they're paying for service, they have not got that service or that experience this year. It's time. It's high time that this committee and that the executive and politicians here really, really start planning. For, to fully fund higher education because the system that we're in now just is not sustainable, it's not manageable, and it's not working. Um, so, I hope that um, you consider that this is something that seriously needs to happen. It's not a pipe dream, uh, kind of, you no, know, far off, distant thing that we're aiming for. This is a realistic and necessary uh, action that needs to be talked by this executive now. Thank you, Gurmagav.
0: Thanks, Graeme. Um- Who's coming in next? Sorry, next on my screen is Daglin, but I don't know who is wanting to come in.
13: Um, I can come in, um, sure. Um, good afternoon, my name is Jonathan Rearham, student junior president at um And really it's just highlighting a lot of um, the areas that have already been covered. Um, primarily just a roadmap coming out of um, lockdown and everything. Students, you know, haven't been told what is happening. And it's the same position we were last year. We weren't too sure what was going to be happening, as in, are the classes going to be online? Are they going to be on campus? Are we going to be on campus, you know, halls and accommodation? And a year later, we're still in the same place. I think it's vitally important, you know, students are going to be told what is going to be the plans for next year and how that's going to affect them. Because in the news recently over in England, you know, a lot of the universities are saying, you know, we are going to be keeping the online lectures running until December, and a lot of students have been coming up to me, going, "Is this the case at Strammelis? Is this the case at Queens?" And we don't know because that's the honest truth, unfortunately. Um. So, clear, clear, clear guidance is vitally needed for students in sort of all areas like that, um, as well as that the financial disruption payment to students was welcomed by the full-time, but part-time students and obviously um, further education, they have not been um, given this um, payment. Uh, a lot of our master's students are part-time because they are doing other things outside us and they have not been supported in the same way. So we'd also just call for more support given to all students in all aspects, but more guidance and the um, disruption payment to be given out to everyone. And that's kind of all I want to do before I repeat more what everyone else is saying. So thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Jonathan.
8: I'm going to come in next, Kiva. So hello, everybody. My name is Colette Cassidy, and I'm the president of UUSU. Again, as we've all said, we are going to be bringing um, up the same issues, but I think it is important to raise these issues consistently because it's important for everyone to realise that this is not impacting on a designated um, university or um, further education college. It's impacting all students, no matter where they're coming from. So again, as everyone else has raised, we obviously had the COVID disruption grant along with the other funding that was introduced back in in February. Again, we all know the gaps that have came as a result of that funding, particularly within the COVID disruption grant. We have seen the likes of our part-time students and our non-EU international students being excluded from this money. And I think it's important to note that no matter what mode of study that these students have went through, they all have been impacted by the disruption that COVID has made during their academic year. And I know personally within us us university that there has been students who have moved from full-time education to part-time education as a result of the disruption that they have faced this year and as a result of that move have now been excluded from the disruption grant when it should be there to support them students at a time that they most need it. Going ahead and looking into the next academic year, we are at a point now that discussion should be underway. Um, our government and, our, and particularly this department should be supporting our students and supporting the university in looking ahead to September because we can't have a repeat of what we've just witnessed um, throughout this year. We have been here with you both in October and now today discussing the same similar issues again and again and again. And it is about time that action is taken. And we just can't consistently be having these discussions. Um, I am leaving, and some of us will be leaving in June. So for my successor to come in here in July and have these same discussions means no action is being taken. Finally, folks, I am being quick with this because I know we we are under time. But we have all given the issues, and we know that as a result of the issues that we're facing is impacting on our students' mental health. As Green and others have said that on the 4th of March this year on University Mental Health Day, UUSU did launch our um, Students Mental Health Action Plan. Within that is eight points that we feel Are important for the department and our government to be aware of to be able to support our students particularly with their mental health this has been in consultation with students has been developed by students we have listened and heard the live experiences our students have been presented with this year and years before because as green and others have said we have been in a mental health crisis and we still are so again I think that action plan definitely needs to be prioritized within our within this department and within government um, to support our students in the long term as I've said, we have met both in October and today, and we have outlined and identified the issues that students ha- have been impacted with throughout this year, and it is time for action. And the only way that this action can be achieved is consistent discussions and consultation with SU representatives. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Colette. And Deglan, do you want to come in just before we open it up to members?
15: Yeah. Kiva, especially August Doctor, College Um thank you very much, Kiva. My name is David Murphy and I'm here as president of St. Mary's University College Belfast. Um the thing that I would like to talk about is the grant that was approved there last month. Um firstly I would like to thank the Department of the Economy for this grant. It was a great idea in theory, however, in practice it proves quite difficult to spend the money. Um we put out ideas to the students to see what they would most want to avail of, and one of the ideas that they put in place was an individual fitness and nutrition plan. There's been fantastic interest in this. However, we've been made to jump through to spend this money. The amount of money being spent means that we needed to go through tender, and every penny of this has been scrutinized and audited. This would have been fine if the money would have been distributed back in semester one, but it wasn't. It was approved in May, whenever our students are doing their exams and about to switch off for the summer meaning that they will not be looking at their university email accounts and therefore may not achieve the full engagement which we would have uh, been made possible if this initiative would have happened back in late 2020. Also, at this time of the year when our student representatives are about to leave, meaning that the people in office, myself and everybody here, will not be able to see out the full commitment to the expenditure of this money and to our students. And therefore, I believe that there's been a lack of engagement in terms of this, in my opinion.
0: Grammar. Um, Grammar, um, and just, I suppose to come in, as you have recognised and, and I appreciate that you have recognised, um, the committee has been very willing to engage and um, has been very exercised by, by issues relating to students over the, the past year. Um, we have been very concerned about the lack of engagement um, we have been very concerned about the, um, the the delay, I suppose, in terms of action being taken to support students, and and, um, and we have done our best to engage with the minister and the department and to encourage um, action to be taken um, as speedily as possible. And and it is, I suppose, a limitation of a committee we we can advocate on your behalf, but the the ultimate decisions come down to, to the minister in and, and respect of it, um, and. We will continue to um, advocate on your behalf um, and we we hear all of the issues that you have outlined today. Um, the committee has, as you are aware, made significant representations on the issue of the COVID disruption uh, payment. We are still waiting on responses back from the minister and department in respect of uh, why it can't be extended. um, Some of the legal issues apparently that there are around that. There are other uh, ways that it could be extended, as you've outlined yourself, to part-time students, um, to international students and to F.E. students, that there are no legal barriers to and that we believe should be uh, paid out to those students. We will continue to make that case. Um, In respect of some of the the other issues that you have outlined, we have been engaging with the universities and the departments and the colleges in respect of planning for next academic year. We are hopeful that there will, will be better Uh, planning and preparation for the next academic year and greater guidance and certainly that's what we will be calling for. Um, We don't want to see a situation like last year where students end up taking on contracts um, and everything else and end up uh, out of pocket again. Now, obviously, there can be no certainty, and we all know all that, you know, we don't, We don't. none of us can see into the future and know uh, what the situation will be in respect of COVID in the next academic year, but there has to be adequate quick planning and contingency planning around all of those things, and certainly that's what we'll be calling for um, off the back of today's engagement and of our previous engagements with yourselves and with the universities and colleges. We are very aware of the broader issues around um, further and higher education funding and funding into the future Um, we are realistic in that respect as well that it's not something that is likely to be dealt with in this current mandate but it is something that the committee is very um, conscious of and is keen to see uh, properly addressed and that we have we are looking at in the context particularly of the new skills strategy which is um being developed at the minute as well so there's an awful lot of issues there that are probably beyond um the the, the end of this mandate but certainly it is part of our program of work and then just to pick up on the point around um that green mentioned around uh, re, refunds and, and things like that for students in relation to fees. It's something that we have engaged with the executive, with the British government and um, and whatever your view around students as consumers, um, and certainly none of us would, would maybe be uh, thinking that that should be the case, but we have engaged with the Consumers Council on that issue as well as to what students' is, uh, rights are in respect of being consumers and uh, of paying for a service that may not be delivered to the standard that they expected or, or outlined in, in um, when they signed up. So just to give you that feedback um, from a committee perspective to, to uh, reassure you that, that we will continue to do our best um, in outlining uh, student issues, that we will continue to call for real meaningful engagement with student union representatives um, it is absolutely essential. You are representative of 200,000 students, as, as you have outlined, Ellen, um, and it is really important that students are listened to. Um, I'm going to bring in members for, for questions or comments. Um, Sinead, you're first up. Oh, I think you're on mute, Sinead.
5: Sorry for that, but thank you very much, everybody, for your um your your briefing and your representation today, and I think it's important that you came before the committee again, uh, and also um, the fact. that you will be moving on um, towards the end of this academic year and I want to thank you for uh, the the sterling representation that you have given to your various bodies because it it has been you know it's been a trying time for all students but particularly those that are representing student bodies too it has been a very difficult time and I totally appreciate that and I'm sure student bodies do as well. Um, I mean, what can I say? We, we know the issues, I'm um, very familiar with the issues, uh, and it's regrettable that some of them are still unresolved as we speak. Um, uh, we've been at, at this now for almost 14 months, and it's one step forward, two steps back, uh, and uh, uh, it is a regrettable issue. Now, what I really want to 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 do, obviously, we are pushing as a committee um, to to see if we can get the the COVID payments um spread and more inclusive to include all of the those that have been excluded. ROI, GB, um, international students, part time students, etc. And we will remain uh, and keep uh, the foot on the accelerator regarding that. But I'm really concerned about the new academic year. And what is ahead for um, our new students cohort and as student representatives are you working with your various um you know institutions to find out exactly and contribute to how the new year is going to pan out for for students coming in and what um uh, what clauses may be put in to any leases um, that students may be undertaking um, so maybe I'll hand that over to Ellen in the first sentence to see if she can uh, give me any light to just the work that you are doing and um, with your various uh, institutions
10: yeah thank you Shade um, I suppose from a national point of view. I I don't engage with institutions directly, but um. So I'll hand over to the other SU presidents maybe to chat about what um, what conversations you've had internally about that new academic year. Um, I would say though that I know that you will all be very familiar that um from July to October last year we spent our time just really lobbying for a national plan for return to campus and it, it never came through and it, it did lead to. A lot of chaos um, and that is something that we want to see for this year. We do think the government has a responsibility to bring the colleges and the universities together to make a clear plan so that every student knows what is happening um, so that is sort of the role that, that we're trying to play but again engagement has been very difficult. Um, in terms of leases, clauses being put into leases, um, as far as where we're aware there is no change and that is entirely disappointing I suppose. We really are just um, at the mercy of landlords and their generosity, which isn't very forthcoming in a lot of cases. Um, So it it definitely is a case where, um, in the private rented sector, students again are signing into house contracts for another 12 months um, that they may or may not need. And in many cases, they're being encouraged to do so again, which is very disappointing um, by private landlords. Um, But I will let, um, maybe Kleth, if you want to go first, and then um, Daglyn and Johnny about the institution specifically and maybe um, university owned accommodation. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you so
8: much, Sinead, for your question. I suppose in terms of engagement with the with the university from our standpoint, um all USU officers are involved in, in many committees. Um and I meet with the FEC on a monthly basis to discuss the issues that students are facing. Um so in terms of the academic um, you know, uh, issues that students face, we are a part of them committees and, and help um and ensure that academics have understanding of what students are facing. And as a result of that, we've had Throughout the year, the introduction of the likes of the recording lecture policies, um, the likes of uh, resets being taken as first sits. Um, again to obviously ensure that um, no stress goes upon on the student and they have as much flexibility around being able to complete this academic year. Um, in terms of the leases, um, obviously uh, we have the university-owned accommodation, and you know as well as that we obviously have the private rented. So again, as Ellen has said private rented accommodation nothing has changed if students are signing accommodation that's them you know tied into it and they can't get out Um, and again you know we've seen last year where before the pandemic happened where students you know weren't aware no one was aware of what COVID was going to bring and it signed them and again there was no flexibility given from landlords and again you know this has happened this year and students are coming to us panicking worried that if you know if the academic year happens to be you know on campus or they're going to have elements of study on campus what do we do and of course you know we can't foresee what is going to happen either so there should be flexibility and thereby landlords to obviously have that if you know the pandemic does happen there is a get out of the lease cause of course because you know we can't foresee this and to expect students to sign on the contracts for 9 10 12 months it's just not reasonable unfair unjust um, in terms of the university accommodation we have um, discussions with um, uh, the, those who are uh, Um, who have it, who own it within the the university and we consistently meet them to ensure that there is flexibility given for students. Um, And, you know, obviously there has been discussions with the university to ensure that if students are not going to be on campus and, and, you know, can be seen on the likes of their study that they are going to be studying online, there's ways and means of of getting out of them contracts. So the university accommodation can be a lot flexible compared to obviously that private rent rented. So hopefully that gives you an insight into what is going on,
5: uh, I had a meeting last week with the Queen's University accommodation team and you know we talked about the flexibilities and the, and the, perhaps the requirements of bedding them down for the new academic year. The, the like, I'm really conscious of you know a lot of people are talking about holidays and booking holidays etc etc but the one thing that everybody is assured of um, is that if they do book a holiday and they can't go on the holiday then they can recover their money. Why is the same consideration not given to students who are booking accommodation and may not be able to give it? It's straightforward, and it seems to be just you know the student, uh, I suppose, lobbying is not uh, regarded in the same way uh, as personal business lobbying um, and happens uh, without throughout the UK, which is really regrettable. Um, you know, and, and I do realise that the, the, the students, or the universities, Queen's and Ulster University, have been flexible and have worked with the students. Um, the private sector, not so much, uh, and that uh, is difficult. And, and I feel you know, at this point in time, um, the, the, the students themselves have, have had a very high price to pay for it all.
0: Thanks, Sinead.
9: Um, can we bring John O'Dowd into the spotlight, please? Uh, hello. Um, <laughs> quite clearly, a very difficult year for, for students. Um, but also, in fairness to yourselves, you have also raised the profile and voices of students very effectively and achieved a lot over this last year. Uh, um, so, well done. In that regards, there's much more to do. Um, I, I fail to see at times, as a former minister, there was always things you wanted to do but perhaps didn't have the money to do. But I, I fail to see on this occasion why Minister Dodds didn't resolve some of the issues because there was access and continues to be access to quite significant amounts of COVID funds which could have resolved some of the problems that continue to be faced uh, in the students' arena but not all of them, of course. Given that we may, in the weeks ahead, have a new po- person in the economy minister's role or we may have the same person, what would your main ask be of that person moving ahead uh, in the next weeks and months? Um,
10: yeah, I'm happy to come in on this if you are happy enough. Um, I suppose, yeah, we, we don't want to predict what is going to happen there, but I think for either an ongoing minister or a new minister coming into this department, our biggest ask overall is that student issues be given the time of day within the department. Um, I sort of said in my opening there, like we completely understand this is such a massive, massive remit, but if, if the minister cannot deal with every single section of a remit, then the remit shouldn't look like that and the portfolio maybe needs to be broken up. Um, I know that we, we used to have... Um, a different department to deal with third-level education, and that's maybe something that needs to be locked into. But I suppose in the short term, we just need um, regular engagement with the minister, so that our, our officials, so that we can relay these student issues regularly and so that we don't build up to the point of disaster, which we've seen at multiple points throughout this year, where we've we've resulted in mental health disaster for students, financial disaster, um, because those issues have been allowed to build to crisis point rather than dealing with them in a long-term strategic way, which is what we need. Um, So I suppose, from my point of view, the biggest ask would be regular engagement with the minister and with officials so that issues can be dealt with and the need to look at long-term strategic solutions and long-term action. Um, Finally, for student issues, so that some of these students, issues we've been talking about for decades now can finally start to be resolved. Um, So from my point of view, I think those are definitely the most important things to look at, um, either with an ongoing minister or if a new minister does come into this department.
9: Okay. In, in, in terms of engagement, I know, I know the Minister has met you as, or in recent times, but in terms of engagement with the department, is there regular engagement with officials? Is there a dedicated point of contact for the students who need his voices to be heard? Are you members of any of the multitude of forums that have been established over this last year or so?
10: um so i i sit on um a few different government groups but very few to be honest mostly to do with um further education and apprenticeships and um, none for higher education that i can think of whatsoever um and i to be honest i think that is because there isn't um an official forum for dealing with higher education issues um and if there is then it's it's being kept secret from us but um i i think that's a problem in itself because if that doesn't exist then that's obviously a core point of the issue and um, that it's not even been given its own sort of group to, to deal with. Um, we, have, we have various meetings. We have regular meetings with um, the Further Education branch, branch, not the HE branch. Um, we do have issues when, when certain specific issues come up. But I think it's just important that we're given that regular engagement to deal with ongoing issues rather than, again, those crisis points. I think we tend to get meetings when things happen at crisis point with officials rather than the minister. But that's just not enough, because at that point, it's too late to actually bring forward solutions Um, It's just constant firefighting, um, which just isn't an effective way to run a department, I suppose, um, from our point of view. Um, I don't know if any of the others want to come in on that.
8: Again, as Eleanor said, it is that engagement and yes, we have, you know, I'm sure every single one of the presidents and um, local unions have been contacted by, you know, individual MLA's, councillors to have discussions. Um, but again, you know, it obviously has to be brought further um, and, and to actually be in the room instead of, you know, trying to get someone to bring us into the room isn't fair and isn't right and isn't the right way to be doing it. Um, you know, I know we've formed, you know, an all party group, but that has been us having to form it um and, and making them connections and pushing it out and, and realistically it should be the other way around. So efforts have been made from our you know our point of making sure that we get the voices of students heard um by those who obviously can create change but you know there needs to be a bit of um give and go with these sort of things.
9: Okay, thank you.
0: Thanks John um can we bring Gary into the spotlight please?
7: Thanks, Chair. Uh, Hopefully you can hear me. Uh, Apologies, I've been having some technical difficulties uh, this morning, but uh, first of all, I I just want to put on record my thanks uh, to everyone on the call. Um, First of all, for the respectful way that you have engaged over this past year, but also in the way that you've uh, highlighted the genuine uh, concerns that are are facing the students that uh, you represent. Um, I think there is an acknowledgement obviously of the financial support that has been provided, uh, albeit a Clearly, recognise that uh, whilst it may uh, seem a lot in terms of the thirty-seven million, there have been a lot of people left behind, a lot of, and there have been gaps. So, so I'm not, uh, not, for one minute, uh, trying to take it away from the serious issues which exists and it has been uh, mentioned about uh, the likes of the All Party Group, uh, which which I sit on and Karen uh, Mullen chairs. Uh, and you know, it's a bit like this committee. Uh, we can read the concerns, so we can send letters Um, we can uh, do all of that uh, but that's important in terms of the lobby but unless we see action at the other end then uh, unfortunately uh, it's not much use other than the fact that we continue to raise those issues Um, one of the main concerns that that i have heard right throughout the pandemic uh, not exclusively to students but uh, because we're we're dealing with uh, these issues today um, you know it is important to recognize that the clarity piece is so important um, and and go into the next semester. I think that uh, as a committee, it's, it's, it's our intention to try and drag as much clarity out as possible um, because it shouldn't be a hierarchy in terms of who deserves clarity the most. I think that students are, uh, are up there in terms of the need for that as well. Uh, I, I take the, the issue around the mental health action plan very seriously as well. I know that Uh, We received uh, figures at the all-party group in relation to some of the stark statistics affecting students. Uh, That's something that should concern everybody in this committee, regardless of what party uh, you're affiliated to. Um, And and, uh, I think as a committee, we can maybe put a bit more pressure in terms of the ministerial working group there around mental health to to try and bring uh, those issues to the forefront. Uh, Going ahead, um, look, I will continue to make the case... Uh, with the minister. Uh, I don't want to, as I say, speculate in terms of what happens in the next couple of weeks, but what we need to do is we need to see a, a, a ramping up of the engagement. I, I don't see why um, there, there shouldn't be strong engagement with students. Um, I, I think that an action point would be we need to maybe see a forum uh, where the, the you know we would have departmental representation, um, whether that be at ministerial level or very senior level, um, I suppose that that can be decided. But I think that the minister needs to to engage, um, but also that we need to see the students um, in and around the table as well. So it's not so much a question, it's just an acknowledgement that I I genuinely do hear the concerns. you know, I I continue to to raise those concerns as well, um, and as I say, I just I welcome the engagement, and I hope that as a committee we can form some sort of consensus position around the. I think we have a consensus around dealing with the issues, but in terms of how we improve the communication and that that needs to be addressed as a matter of urgency uh, again thank you sorry for maybe just speaking a bit long but i i do thank you and wish you well as you go on um uh, to your, your next stage or you move on from the posts that you're currently in thank you
0: um thanks very much gary and i know ellen that you have previously highlighted that in Wales and Scotland there are regular meetings with senior departmental officials and student representatives. Um, That's something we've highlighted previously, but I think certainly there would be no harm in doing so again and encouraging the department to set up a a similar engagement with student representatives here. Um, I don't have any more questions for you either. I would really like to put on record my thanks for your very constructive and youthful engagement and as Gary said respectful engagement despite the really difficult year that you have all had. Um, I would wish all of you very well in whatever you are doing um, after the end of this um, academic year and would would welcome the opportunity if you are having any sort of transition with the new people coming in to um, engage with me as committee chair um, and I'm so sure you would be doing with other representatives anyway. But um would we really welcome the opportunity to do that. And just again to assure you that, that we will continue um, to highlight student issues and to be calling for as much clarity and engagement as is absolutely possible.
2: Chair, if, if I could come in, it would be really helpful for me if you all forwarded on contact details for those who follow behind you. And Ellen, if it's possible, could you put me in contact with your Scottish and Welsh counterparts? might be useful to get a talk to them as to how the mechanisms they're involved in work, just so that we can pin down detail and maybe develop our own model.
10: Yes, no problem at all. Yeah, I think that would be really useful. Um, and just to say as well, I actually am in this role for another year, and um, so these are stuck with me for another year. But I'll also be working with the new officers that come in from each union and each president, so I'm happy to coordinate any of that that you need as well. Chair, if um, I... Can... if i
2: could just come in again well that that would be incredibly useful ellen if you actually set that up for us um if you if you want to sort of think about the the sort of timescale for doing that um in terms of bringing together a meeting of the new officials um so that we can maybe have an informal with the committee as soon as they're in office yeah
0: thank you um and peter just maybe to propose that we do ask for um departmental officials to come and talk to us about student issues um as a an action out of this meeting
3: sure we'll do
2: that
6: chair
0: okay well look thank you very much okay um unless members have anything else that they want to to add or as action points or anything else out of the briefing
7: chair it was just maybe to mention look the the forum idea i think is um is one that, that, that needs to be explored. I don't know if we can find out, and probably um, maybe I could have asked this question, but in terms of other jurisdictions, whether it be in our one or whether it be in Scotland or Wales, how do, they, do they have specific forums and what, what's the makeup of those forums? And is, is it something that we need to be lobbying to establish here um, you know, within our... Um, assembly as well. I don't know. It, 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 maybe some just inquire for a future meeting.
2: Chair, that that's hopefully what we'll get from Alan. She has counterparts um, in Wales and Scotland. That's the beauty of the NUSUSI. Um, so if we look at the mechanisms they have, what we can do is bring a, a report back to committee for discussion in terms of having a you know a kind of being able to look at a, a model proposal that the committee can then take forward.
0: okay thanks um for that okay so we'll move on then to just making sure we're going to 13.
2: Yeah, we're going to go back to 13 yep
0: okay so there is an sl1 item number 13 um proposed insolvency amendment 2016 at consequential amendments and revocation order northern ireland 2021 there's a clerk's memo at page 192 of table papers there's an sl1 at page 193 The proposed statutory rule revokes the Deeds of Arrangement Regulations Northern Ireland 1996 and makes amendments to subordinate legislation consequent on the repeal of the provision in the Insolvency Northern Ireland Order 1998, enabling debtors to enter Deeds of Arrangement. The rule is subject to negative resolution procedure um, and this is the committee's opportunity uh, to consider the policy laid out in the SL1. Apologies. Um, so are members content with, Peter, is there anything you want to say on it?
2: No, Chair, it, it's pretty much, as it says on the tin, it's part of this suite of re- remaking these resolutions because of the, the times we live in um, and is it, really there on that basis.
0: Okay. Are members content? Thank you. Okay, so moving on then to um, item number 14, SR 2021 000 the Renewables Obligation Amendment Order Northern Ireland 2021 Amendment to the Explanatory Memorandum. Um, There is a copy of the revised Explanatory Memorandum at page 161 of your pack in relation to the SR on the Renewables Obligation Amendment Order Northern Ireland 2021, which we agreed on the 28th of April. The amendment is technical in nature and reflects the change to the articles of the parent legislation under which the SR was made. So there is no amendment to the draft SR itself. So that is just for members to note. So we are moving on then to item number seven. We're all over the place today. Um, So at page 113 of your PACs, there's a departmental response following issues raised after the recent budget briefing, um, which included a breakdown of the funding from Treasury for the protocol and for the FTC loan to Ulster University. The department outlines that the funding is allocated to the Department for the Economy by NIO. Um, is part of the commitment to implement new new deal for Northern Ireland to help boost economic growth, competitiveness, and invest in infrastructure. So that's for members to note. Unless there's anything they want to say.
2: Chair, it's maybe worth flagging up on that table too. Um, on, on page one hundred and thirteen, is it roughly just slightly over half the money um, is actually committed in terms of specifics to bodies and so on, and, and it's probably that top line that the, the, the one members maybe want um, to want to highlight is the, the 5.791 um, Seven. that's still effectively in that pot for coping with protocol and trade issues. Um, I know we've dealt a lot with that figure of that headline figure of 12.1, but it's just to say that, that slightly over half of that is, is already committed um, as that table sets out. So just if members want to keep that in mind going forward.
0: Okay. Um, and we may want to ask for further information in relation to that.
2: Yeah, sure. It, it, it'll be a, a case of um, the drawdown on the trade and protocol policy. The, the nearly five point eight million that's left will probably have to come through monitoring rounds. Um, so we should see that coming through them. But certainly, it's one to keep an eye on. Right. Okay,
0: thank you. So then 7.2 page 116 there's a departmental response to correspondence forwarded by the committee from a manufacturer in business regarding disadvantages manufacturers here face when competing with businesses in Britain due to the rules of origin for goods travelling from Britain to the north for processing. The Department states that it shares the concerns and that officials are engaged on a technical level across um, Whitehall to seek urgent resolutions. In terms of interim options, HMRC has advised that businesses should explore potential mitigations for this tariff, such as customs processes, including inward processing relief and customs warehousing and also the de minimis uh, waiver. So if members are content that we will forward that response to the individual who raised this issue. Thank you. Thank you. Then 7.3 at page 117 is correspondence from the clerk of the finance committee regarding information from the department for or the Department of Finance, sorry, on the accruing resources within departments for the year 2020-21. Um, just to advise members, the Department for Economy figures are set out on pages 123 to 24. That's just for members to note. Then 7.4 at page four of table papers. There's a copy of the statement by the education minister to the assembly on the 17th May regarding arrangements for SEA qualifications in 2021-22. 20, um, the SEA is due to brief the committee on the 23rd of June.
2: Chair, it might just be worth flagging up. I've had a preliminary discussion with the interim chief executive on the issues that the committee wants to um, deal with. Um, so it looks as it'll be a, a fairly good um, meeting, I think. In exchange, uh, I think the interim Chief Executive, um, as as yeah, it's, it's I suppose spoiler alert, but has, has a lot of views on those issues as well. That that you know, I think there'll be useful discussion on.
0: Okay, thanks, Peter. So then 7.5 at page 19 of table papers, there is follow up information from from Ulster University following our informal meeting on the 25th of March. So that again is just for members to note. Um, 7.6 then at page 32 of table papers, there is a copy of correspondence from a college lecturer to the minister regarding issues around the ongoing pay dispute. So if members are content, we will uh, write to the department to ask that the response is copied to the committee if members are content.
2: Chair, yeah. can I can I just bob in again? There, it occurs to me. Um, I had a conversation with the education clerk, and they're looking at um, a lot of issues around provision in schools for young people with autism. And I, I, I mentioned the neurodiverse student group um, to the clerk, and, and there was a you know there's obviously a, a there's a correlation there. So if members are content, could we f- um, forward that correspondence to the education committee?
0: Yeah.
2: Thank you, Chair.
0: I okay, thank you. So 7.7 then at page 35 of table papers, there's corresponding correspondence from Belcu Frac Free regarding the department's handling of previous requests from the group. So members of we will forward that correspondence to the department for a response on the issues being raised. Thank you. And then we're moving on to item number eight, which is the Rating Coronavirus and Directors Disqualification Dissolved Companies Bill... Um, there is a copy of the and Coronavirus uh, and Directors dis- dis- Qualification dis- All Companies Bill, um, which has been laid in Westminster at page 130 of your pack and an explanatory memorandum at page 140. The bill was laid in Westminster on the 12th of May. At our meeting on the 5th of May, the committee received notice of an associated LCM to be brought by the minister in respect of amendments to the company's directors on or Disqualification, Northern Ireland Order 2002, applying here in the North. Um, The explanatory memorandum on the bill states that in relation to here that it is not currently possible for the conduct of former directors of dissolved companies to be investigated without first restoring the company to the register of companies, which is time-consuming and costly and involves court proceedings. This measure will allow the department to investigate the conduct of former directors of dissolved companies, without there being a requirement to first restore the company to the register, um, the committee has already written to stakeholders to seek their views on the LCM and draft a report. Sorry, and a draft report will be brought to committee for approval. An early response from Ictu has raised no objections and accepts the rationale of the legislation. And I think Peter, you circulated that to members last week.
2: Yes, Chair. Um, now that the the legislation has been laid, we can look at it in more depth. Helpfully, the, the Bill has a, a, a schedule that is specifically about how the impact will be felt here.
0: Okay, thank you. So moving on then to item number nine, correspondence, um, at page 161 of your pack, there is correspondence from the Clerk to the ERA Committee seeking written submissions on the PMB on climate change by the 18th of June. Um so members are content to forward to the Department to ask if there are any issues arising from the bill from the department's perspective and remit and to agree a response from the committee once this is received. Thank you. Thank you. Um, they' moving on nine point two at page one hundred and sixty two of your pack. there is a copy of correspondence from the Department for Finance to the Finance Committee regarding clarification on outstanding funds to the Presbyterian Mutual Society. So members content to note. Thank you. Moving on then to 9.3 a page 165, correspondence from an individual calling for a public inquiry on COVID-19. It's understood this correspondence has been copied to all committees and MLAs, so members are content to note.
2: Thank you, Chair.
0: Then at 9.4 page 39 of table papers, there's correspondence from the Dairy Council inviting the committee and ERA committee to a virtual site visit to hear about the sustainability of the dairy supply chain um, so, just wanted to ask members for their views around this, um, and whether they would be content to schedule this as an informal visit, in our usual Thursday morning slot for informal meetings.
2: Chair, the rationale being that that's the uh, the error committee slot, and we'd probably be going based on um, what sort of suited them, uh, and it would be fully fully virtual, no no wellies required or anything like that. Um, so it's, I suppose it's really a case of maybe bringing back some dates to members now um, around what the era committee is going to be able to do because they're fairly bill heavy at the minute yeah. so if members are content um, we put a pin in that until we can get some dates that we're able to offer
0: yep okay okay members that's us um, for today uh, I, number 10 is any other business and we've had none has been uh, notified so unless members have anything
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. So, item number 11, then, date, time, and place of our next meeting is next Wednesday morning um, in Room 30.
2: Thank Mm -hmm. you very much, Chair. Thank you,
10: members. This is
3: the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland...